There have been a number of times in my own life where I have gone through a type of death and rebirth, a new beginning, a restart. One was depression. One was dealing with overeating and a food addiction. One was going through divorce. Each of these things were difficult. And when I surfaced from each of them, I was not entirely the same person I once was. Although all of my former self did very much come along with me into what was new. The way my favorite theologian Bruce Springsteen puts it is, as you go down your life, you've got a lot of yourself that keeps coming into the car. None of yourself ever gets out, but new stuff keeps coming in. The big question you've got to answer is, who's driving the car at any one time? And I think going through things like this, these deaths and rebirths, we carry our past with us, but we are something new now. Something that makes each of these types of rebirths different and more difficult is going through them in a culture where each of these things is not really okay still. We've made strides, but there's a risk, and no little one, in owning your depression and anxiety. There's not only risk, but there's ridicule in owning your overeating and your food addiction, not to mention body image in our culture. And as common as divorce has become, our culture and even our faith communities sometimes don't know how to deal with it. Like depression and being overweight, they're somehow attached to it some sense of failure that even if is unspoken is often felt. Our culture wants us to spin our lazy Susan self so that we're happy, not mentally ill, healthy, not fat, and partnered and dating and with family and not divorced. We all will sympathize with all these things, and there's part of us that has grown to accept all of them are not markers of inferiority but our culture as a whole still has a way to go before we're perfect with each of them. Sometimes when we reveal things like this to other people, we are told, oh, come on, just put on a happy face. You can get on with it. Don't make it a thing. Carry on. Fake it till you make it. But in my own experience, being depressed or having trouble controlling my eating and going through divorce became labels in some way that stuck to me in such a way that for some people they defined me as who I was not something that happened to me or something I was going through and even once you move past things like this they stay with you it's very difficult in our culture to bridge the gap that Gloria Ansel Dua says is between both sides, from where we've come from to the new person we've become going through it. Because struggles like these, addiction, depression, divorce, 
are things that our culture still at some level says are shameful. And culture is a powerful, powerful thing. Culture is the way we transmit customs, teach our children, transfer language, establish norms of behavior. Being able to overcome them and being able to rise again from them into something new requires rising above the culture's attitude toward them. As we approach a vote on being a welcoming congregation and with National Coming Out Day Tuesday, <clears throat> we have to note that sexuality and gender acceptance is not merely about who someone is sexually attracted to or our gender identity, do we match our physical gender with the one we identify with, it is really a cultural issue, and a huge one. <clears throat> For the culture war is real. The culture war is not just <clears throat> a tactic that some people use politically to distract other people from other more important things. <clears throat> the reason that works as a tactic is that culture is immensely, overtly, and subtly strong. It's because culture is so powerful that the culture war works and wedge issues are created and we are distracted sometimes from other things we need to do and other problems we need to solve. Culture is so powerful that there are many times we are not even aware that something is cultural. Gender roles, race. It's not enough to know these things are culturally conditioned. Many of us here know and think in ways that acknowledge patriarchy is wrong, racism is wrong, homophobia is wrong. And yet, all of us are still at some level governed by our culture and not by our knowledge and our rational thinking. Which is why it's such a difficult thing to deal with culture. There's a recent essay by a writer named John Meta and he explains the power of culture using French. Anybody speak French? He says, French is refined, classy, worldly. Does it strike you that way? No? Yeah? It's much more impressive to dine on haute cuisine than it is to eat some good food. Yes? But why? Both the phrases mean, if not exactly directly translated, they mean essentially the same thing within their own language. But Meta in his essay explains why. And he, he goes all the way back to the Norman invasion of England in 1066. And he says, when the Normans invaded England, the Anglo-Saxons who were there were a conquered people. They were colonized and subjugated, the way all colonization and empire and subjugation works. And to reinforce the Norman control over these Anglo-Saxons, who, by the way, are lesser people and not quite as good and sophisticated and civilized as us Normans, we made them speak our language. We made them speak French. We outlawed oh, English. It wasn't really English yet, but it was developing. right? And for hundreds of years, English was uncouth and less and the words of barbaric speech. So, because some guy 
wanted to have power and control over his basically cousins from another part of Europe on this island they had both gotten to. We still think haute cuisine is fancy and good food isn't. Think about it. It goes all the way back. It is ingrained into the culture so much that English, as it developed, has tons of things borrowed from French. And it goes all the way back to that time. And if we pay attention to that, well, patriarchy follows the same thing, right? Way back when, men are superior to women. Right? And we know, not true, but the battle is not won yet because it is so pervasively ingrained in human culture throughout the world. Race in our culture follows the same pattern. There is no such thing as different races of human beings. We are all genetically one race, one species. Race is a cultural construct, like gender identity and gender roles. And yet, it's very powerful. And the reason people are having to take to the streets and Black Lives Matter and say, just please stop killing us, is because hundreds of years ago, some rich, white, landed merchants decided that the way to control a population of poor white people was to put somebody underneath them. And hence, we still look at this way today. Same thing with National Coming Out Day and any of our friends in the rainbow spectrum. That's not normal. Most human cultures go all the way back with not recognizing this. And any time it's come up as being okay, the dominant culture that then came after it crushed it back down again. Culture is an immensely powerful thing. And so for an individual to come out on National Coming Out Day, or to come out at all, I think is a much bigger deal than most of us who are, in many ways, part of the dominant culture ever realize. It is not just owning oneself or dying to oneself that was hidden and rising into the new self that now includes being open about who one is. It's doing this in direct opposition and violation of long-established culture. National Coming Out Day and the normalizing of the gay experience in the last couple generations is part of a massive cultural shift not just in our culture here in North America, but, but really on a worldwide scale. We are at a period in history where we, we are becoming consciously aware that our culture rests on the bedrock of assumptions that some human beings are lesser than others, and this assumption is not okay. The culture we inherit is full of lies. People of color, women, gay people, Muslims, so on and so on, are not fully human, not holy, not okay, not decent, not acceptable. The backlash against changing this culture, what we see around us every day now, the backlash against this change of culture trying to happen is an undertow trying to take us back. Back to the golden age of the past where everything was normal. Yeah, where it was okay to be sexist and racist and homophobic and hate poor people. Right. That golden age never existed. The courage it takes to own oneself 
to take the lazy Susan and spin who you really are to face everyone else. In, in the face of, in opposition to that patriarchal, sexist, homophobic culture that has so many centuries behind it, it really is nothing short of heroic. Just as coming out is an amazing act of bravery for an individual, I'd like us to ponder today that it is also such an act of bravery for a congregation. Voting to become a welcoming congregation is the process of creating a new congregational culture. It means, in some ways, dying to the culture we used to have and rising into a new culture that we're going to create as we go along. That's scary. You know, if you know the New Testament story of Lazarus coming out of the tomb, right? I wonder sometimes if he was all happy or if he was just scared to death once again. Because I don't think that's an easy process. It is our task to turn our congregation's lazy Susan out to face the world very proud, very visibly, very obviously a church that is an ally to the LGBTQIA community. It is a change we have been making intentionally, preparing to come out. Like an individual coming out, we are gathering the self-confidence to be free of the culture that says being gay is not okay, not good, not enough. I know there is still some thinking among us that we don't have to be officially, visibly, intentionally welcoming. That we don't have to announce it with rainbows and signs. Well, think about that for a minute. Just think about it for a minute. It's like telling someone in your family or a close friend who comes out to you that they are gay to say, Yes, I accept you, but do you have to be so open about it? Do you have to be so gay? That reaction isn't really acceptance, is it? I know there's still some thinking out there that our congregation already accepts everyone. So why do we have to do this official program? We're already a culture of welcoming. And I don't think that's completely accurate. I think before we began the Welcoming Congregation program, our congregation had a culture of tolerance for differences, including people who are gay. But as you know, I think like this, tolerance is not enough. Tolerance is the dominant culture's way of maintaining power and place of privilege. Tolerance doesn't have to agree that differences are just as good as the dominant culture. Tolerance can allow things and people we may not actually like or agree with, but we put up with them. And we may not even have to really honestly believe they're as good as we are or as normal as we are. Any struggle to change culture and break away from a dominant culture is a struggle to move beyond tolerance into acceptance, understanding, equality, dignity, and justice. 
feminism, civil rights, gay rights, religious pluralism, Black Lives Matter, all these struggles of the last century against the dominant culture are struggles to move from tolerating a group of fellow human beings to acknowledging them as equal participants in the human experience. It is not enough to say we are welcoming. A true change of culture can only happen with an intentional journey into a new culture. And by its nature, that process can be very uncomfortable. It means giving up the hard realities that can come with real deep introspection. It means giving up this is the way we've always done it. It means trying to be aware of all the microaggressions that belittle or diminish others for who they are in ways we might not even realize because we are not other ourselves in that way. We celebrate National Coming Out Day on the weekend that is undergoing a cultural shift away from Columbus Day, recognizing Columbus to be, you know, a racist, violent, imperial conqueror who committed genocide, to celebrating Indigenous Peoples Day, recognizing the people whose culture has been so long tolerated, as long as they kept it over there on the reservation and didn't really overtly remind us that we stole the land from and we committed genocide upon. So changing that culture, even though it may seem obvious as a justice issue, is a really hard cultural shift to sell. It is because cultural change needs to be intentional that it needs education and information and processing of feelings. We've done this. This is what all the workshops and worship services and guest speakers and movie nights and book discussions were for, to lay the groundwork for preparing a change of culture. And our congregation is going through a change of culture. Welcoming congregation, practicing radical hospitality is a part of it. But there are other cultural shifts already happening we may not even notice them. I had a conversation with our president, Mary Helen, a few days ago in which she noted a change of culture to me here that I hadn't noticed. She said it used to be Reverend Drynan and Reverend Hull, but lately it's been Rev Bev and Rev Tony. I hadn't, I hadn't noticed that at all. But that's a cultural shift from being more formal to being a little less formal, Right? Cultural changes happen whether we want them to or not sometimes, and whether we even realize they're going on or not. However, when we intentionally set about to change a culture, it allows us to push those changes more firmly toward creating a more radically welcome and just and inclusive community. When we vote next month on whether to be a welcoming congregation, we are not making public something we already do. We are, in a very real way, intentionally charting a new course that moves beyond tolerance, and we will find that it will compel us to continue down that road to create a culture of accessibility, to create a culture that engages systemic racism, to create a culture that more openly and visibly proclaims to the world around us, whoever you are, whomever you love, you are welcome here. You belong here. Becoming a welcoming congregation means, as our poem this morning told us, that as we leave our old consciousness, our old culture, 
and travel to the new shore, the new bank, healed so that we can bridge the old to the new and see with serpent and eagle eyes. We are ready to take this leap. A welcoming congregation comes out and turns the lazy Susan identity of our church so that our true colors, the colors of the rainbow, proudly, confidently face the world.